0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an
1: engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How do you put spiky individuals together to form an all-round team? My name is CT from Engage Rocket. And to help us answer that question today is Seth Bartholomew. Now, Seth is the Global Head of Employee Experience at Chronosphere. And I'm very privileged to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us, Seth. Yeah, thanks, CT. Thanks for having me. So, Seth, tell tell me a little bit more about your role and particularly what employee experience means at Chronosphere.
2: Yeah, there's a few different facets to employee experience. We oversee internal communications, DEI initiatives, employee resource groups, uh, employee engagement. So we're responsible for our engagement surveys that go out, working with teams, working with HRVPs in terms of ensuring a positive, holistic employee experience across departments and across teams. Workplace experience factors into that too, remote working. So it's a catch-all for anything that would touch employee experience in the employee life cycle. And and really what it means to us is we think about employee experience. We're a remote first company, so we have to think about it holistically, whether you're in office, whether you're at home. We wanna think about all facets, anything the employee touches during their tenure at the company. So for me, it's really looking at experience from the day that they're onboarded, even beyond that, from the day that they're a candidate, all the way to the when they're offboarded, ensuring that they have a positive experience throughout that life cycle, that they are engaged, there's job satisfaction. That's what employee experience com- encompasses for me.
1: It seems like there's some parts of it that deal with kind of workplace, some parts of it that yeah. deal with organizational development. For Chronosphere, does this sit under the people ops function or is this kind of a separate thing? It is, no, it's under the people app function. So we, we are part of the
2: people team and we've got HRBP function. We've got a learning and development, total rewards, compensation, and then employee experience, and it's pretty collaborative across all the functions. But yeah, we do sit under the people function.
1: We were talking about team building and how do we build elite teams with spiky individuals. Elaborate a little bit more about what you have seen in terms of how individuals are spiked, and then how we can put them together to build an elite team.
2: The first part of it for any leader, when you're developing a team, is really be clear about your vision. What is your team responsible for? Think about all the facets, all the functions that that go into that, and then build out your your vision for your department, your vision for your org based on that. Right? When I look to build a team, there's a couple things. One is I I, I do want to make sure that they have the requisite experience and, and, and the know-how and the skill set to perform the function. But really what I'm looking for are strengths and traits, right? So like, how will they fit into that larger vision of a team? And then you want to think as much as possible about not only can this person perform the function of the job, will they be successful in that job, but how will they work with other people at the team? How will they work in terms of your vision for scaling and growth? There's a lot of different parts of it. But I think the biggest thing for me is just building to people's strengths and, Maintaining a certain amount of flexibility as well when it comes to roles, right? Not being too rigid, not putting people in silos. When you hire somebody, you've got a small sample of what their strengths are, what they're capable of, and as you work with that person, as you develop a relationship with that person, you're going to start to get a better sense of what their strengths are. So sometimes it makes sense to pivot a little bit in terms of what they're responsible
1: for or assigning projects that align with their strengths and their overall career goals. This is something that I'm super interested about because imagine you're going to the market to hire some talent and you put together, we have this vision for what the team does and you've got a job description. The way to think about it may be to hire for extreme strength, right? Rather than a lack of weakness. You hire this guy extreme strength in one particular area and say within an HR function, for example, you find that someone's excellent at dealing with the analytics around compensation and benefits. But. They might be terrible at dealing with something else and in your job description it, we're in mid-sized organizations We've, all of us are multi-hatting right there you're going to be terrible at this other thing which you need done on your team how do you go about doing that do you have to get someone else on the team to pick up that slack or do you just change that job description i
2: think there's a few things one is in an ideal scenario you can build to people's strengths right you can Restructure roles. You can move people around as you need to, but we don't always work in an ideal world. Part of it is management. If somebody's just terrible at something, you want to give them the opportunity to improve. You want to work with them as a leader to ensure that they have the support they need to improve. At a certain point, sometimes, unfortunately, it's just not a good fit. And I think it, that's a tough decision for every manager to, to make when they get to that point, decide what's best for the team. And, and sometimes individuals just aren't a great fit and you have to make a shift. But I think as much as possible, if you're in a situation where you're able to grow the team, you're able to reassign functions, you're able to pivot and have a little bit of flexibility there. I think that always works out for the best because then you can build out the functions to people's strengths as much as possible.
1: I'm glad you talked about fit as well because from strengths don't always exist in isolation. So strengths typically are relevant to the particular team in particular context of job. So how do you go about assessing strengths? Is it purely performance-driven or is there some kind of latent performance potential that you recognize is maybe not unlocked yet because of the context and because of the, the, the situation?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question in my experience. People tend to perform well at things they are passionate about or things they really enjoy doing. So you look, when you're going through an interview process, when you're meeting with candidates, you look for those signs. Like where do, where does the person light up? What, when they're talking about certain initiatives, projects they've worked on, where do you see them become a little bit animated and really go into great detail because they enjoy talking about it. They enjoyed that project. So I think you, as a manager, need to look for those signals, right? Where does the person really light up? What do they naturally gravitate to? What do they enjoy? And that helps you build out a path, right? Cause you can see, all right, well, I know this person really enjoys this. They will probably do well at this. And then from there, It's performance management and it's having one-on-one conversations in terms of figuring out, does this project fulfill you? Are you really excited by this? Did you do well at this? Did you do very poorly? Maybe this isn't the best fit for you? That kind of thing. So I think it's initially having, identifying or uh, observing human behavior and watching where they, they naturally gravitate towards, where they light up when they're talking about certain things. And then from there as a manager, it's just that performance management aspect, right? How are they performing? How do they do on this deliverable? what do they naturally get excited about when they propose ideas, when they propose projects, what are the types of projects that they're proposing? So I think it's both sides of that.
1: I'd love to dive into the performance management and after you build this team, how do you keep it running? And I think maybe before we move into that direction, I want to get your thoughts on how do you observe these behaviors? Obviously, there's an interview kind of lab conditions observation, but then once they've joined you, You have maybe 30, 60, 90 days, however many days it is. And you're watching them in the wild, interacting with the rest of the team and watching the team interact with them as well. Because that dynamic also plays a part in whether or not these strengths can blossom. So as a manager, it's obviously a very complex job. How do you personally deal with that onboarding process and making sure that, that those new strengths that you're hiring for on paper while they complement the rest of the team. How do you make sure that they actually manifest in a way that's helpful to the
2: team? I think the one is building out a very clear onboarding plan for employees. I, I typically look at 30, 60, 90 days of phases, right? That first 30 days, at least for myself and for people on my team, that first 30 days, I really want you to observe and learn, meet with as many people as possible, focus on building relationships, focus on introducing yourself, learn as much as possible, observe, gauge what's working, what you think isn't working, what do you think could be improved upon? The 60 days, the next phase is really about starting to form that plan, starting to socialize the ideas. You've now ascertained, this is working really well. We don't necessarily need to lean in here, but this is an area where I think we can do better. And so when I'm onboarding an employee at that 60-day point, that's when I'm starting to look for what are those suggestions? What, do you, what did you initially glean from that 30 days? And then in the 90 days, that's when we want to start implementing. So you've You've looked at what I've given you in terms of a structure, what I've wanted you to focus on, the, the stakeholders I wanted you to meet with. At that 90 day point, that's when I'm looking for an employee to come back to me with, Hey, these are the recommendations. This is where I think we can do better. This is working. We don't need to do that. So I, I really look at that first 90 days as observe, start to make recommendations and socialize and then implement once you're at the end of that 90 days. And I think you can also tell in that plan, you get a sense of what employees enjoy, what they're strong at, because typically in that, in that first onboarding period, they will bring ideas to you based on areas they're, they've got their comfort with, level with, or they feel, you know, they, they work strongly in. So you'll start to get a sense of what are the natural areas that they enjoy? Where do they feel really confident and strong in? That's how I look at that first 90 day period for onboarding is it's really a, I guess the best way to put it is a learning, get to know you period for both parties. But it it does give you that sense you can glean in that first ninety days. Where does a person naturally gravitate towards? Where do they feel really comfortable and where are their strengths? It's not perfect. And you've obviously 90 days is you're gonna get more information six months, a year, two years working with some people. But I do think there's a lot you can glean in that first ninety days.
1: You guys are fully remote. So do you find it extra hard to observe these trades? Because it's it's so hard to just with this square window. On the computer every day, like, how do you assess these strengths and traits?
2: So it's interesting. We, we are remote first. We have hub offices and we have some people that work in offices. We offer co-working options so people can utilize co-working space when they need to. But yeah, the most of us are remote. And this is actually the second time my previous job, I had started remotely as well when I was at Hulu. I actually find it easier to assess in a remote and virtual setting. You've got to maximize your team time as a leader, right? So you get, you can't just walk up to somebody's desk anymore. You can slack and you can ask people if they've got time, but that those like really easy, quick moments of just, Hey, I just wanted to run this by you, walk up somebody's desk, talking to them, that's not there anymore. So I think it forces you to maximize your time in one-on-one in team meetings and to really focus on what's important. And in these conversations, I found when, when before the pandemic and when I was in the office on a regular basis and having those one-on-ones. In person, there's a lot of, and this isn't bad, but there's a lot of social chat. There's a lot of pr- things that aren't necessarily core to work or their development or their growth. And so for me, I think it's a little bit easier in a virtual setting because you're really focused on maximizing the time you have with people, ensuring that you're going into that meeting with a very clear agenda, very clear objectives. This is what we want to accomplish. So the rules for a manager, those traits, those rules don't change versus if you're in person setting or a virtual setting. I think it takes more effort and more focus to lead a team in a virtual setting. But I, I do think there are parts of it that are easier because you're so focused when you, in, on maximizing the time you have with people when you're on camera.
1: That's really interesting. It sounds almost like when you're remote, you, you're distilling the core essence of what you need to do as a manager and you're focusing entirely on that. Actually, if we're in-person or hybrid, we still need to do this as managers, but it's easy to get distracted by other things that are not as related.
0: Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact Community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash
2: HR impact. And now back to the show. Absolutely. Especially if you've ever worked in an open office setting. I remember trying to get a conference room and there's no conference room booked and, oh, hey, let's just go grab this phone booth here. And then you're in an awkward situation where you're two feet away from me. So I, I feel like, at least for me, it's easier for me to focus on what's important and to maximize those meetings.
1: That's super interesting is yeah. stripping away all the distractions. I'm going to segue a little bit into the, the process for once you've built that team of spiky individuals, yeah. how do you go about managing them the first step is as much as possible as a team you want to establish your
2: operating and your communication norms right so it's not me telling people this is how we're going to operate this is how we're going to communicate it's me asking people how do you work best what are your preferred communication norms some people hate getting phone calls some people prefer all slack some people want to have an email trail so you want to figure out what your team's different communication preferences styles are and find a compromise there, right? And establish that as a team so everybody's got buy-in. So it's not me just saying, this is how we're gonna work. It's us together deciding how we're gonna work. So it's a little bit democratic in that sense. And then I think my role as a leader is I've gotta provide the vision. I've gotta provide clear expectation. What do I consider a high performer? What do I consider a low performer? What do I think people need to work on? What is the career path for them to take? What is the next step in development? So all of those things, but my job to supply that vision and then the other part of it, cause you mentioned communication is I want to, as much as possible, open up the lines of communication for the team. I don't want people to use me as a funnel to get to each other, right? Like I want the team to work together. So are there opportunities for cross collaborative projects where I can get them working together, talking together, and then coming back to me with an idea for a recommendation. One of the things I stress with my team is I want everybody to be at a very solution oriented mindset. If you identify a problem. Bring a solution to the table. It doesn't have to be the, it may not be the right solution, but I want people to get in the mindset and to get comfortable with making decisions and working autonomously because I don't ever want to create a bottleneck for the team. And that even goes beyond my team. I, I don't want my team to feel like they have to go through me to communicate with I see this a lot where direct reports feel like they have to go to their manager in order to communicate with one of their manager's peers. And as much as possible, I just want to open those lines of communication. I want people to feel empowered, to be autonomous. And that autonomy comes with, they know what the prioritization is. They know, so they know how to prioritize projects when they're juggling multiple things. They know what the vision is. They know what our strategic objectives are as a team, which is all my
1: job as a manager. Let's talk about any kind of cadence that you have with your team. Once you've got the team running, you've got these communication norms set up. you provided those clear expectations of high and low performance. How do you go about implementing this with them and how easily do you find this scaling into other teams in the organization
2: it's different in a remote environment right so i think with one-on-ones i'm big on agendas right because i want to know going into that meeting what people are thinking about where they're having challenges where they're stuck so by looking at their agenda ahead of time i can come in with some thoughts and we can have them we can maximize that conversation and i'm big on weekly one-on-ones you need to be touching base with your team especially in a remote setting uh, on a pretty regular basis But I don't want one-on-ones to be, I don't want them to be just purely updates. I want to have conversations. I want to focus on areas they're stuck in. I want to focus on their development. Where can I help? A lot of times you can't avoid it. You're going to have you're working on things and you've got to give updates there, but I don't want it to just be that. I also want to leverage async communication as much as possible in a remote environment. Zoom fatigue is very real. I don't want people to feel like they have to be on a zoom call for every little thing. So if it's just giving me updates. Let's have async communication. Let's work on a Google doc, async, whatever it is. We don't have to necessarily have a meeting for everything, but I do like at least once a week, we have a one-to-one check-in 30 minutes to an hour. Let's talk about the big picture things because I think that you want that connection to be there. Team meetings. I'm a big fan in a virtual setting of doing them bi-weekly on a bi-weekly cadence. Sometimes you need to do it more than that, but the reason I like bi-weekly is again, we you're touching base with your team on a weekly basis and look, sometimes a team meeting is not enough. We have to schedule extra time and and work on a project initiative and it just helps to get everybody on a call, that kind of thing.
1: Async communications, you're referring to things like chat, video recordings, like screen grabs. Exactly. uh, Working on a
2: shared doc, commenting, editing, things like that So where we don't necessarily have to talk in real, real time because the other thing is we're, for our company, we're pretty distributed. We're distributed across the US. We've got EU teams. We've got some employees in Australia. So if not, realistic that you can catch every, have a real-time conversation one-to-one with everybody. So you do have to leverage async communication.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've got a bunch of notes here from our conversation. Basically, if you're looking to build an elite team of spiky individuals, uh, I've got seven key steps here and then I'd love if you could validate that and add anything, right? So the first one sounds like establishing team communication norms, clear expectations of high and low performance. Um, The second is having that weekly one-on-ones with agendas. So with with your team to be able to keep them on the same page and help unblock any problems that you have with them. The third one is leaning into asynchronous communications and fourth, bi-weekly team meetings. So all these form that structure for team management that you have and you can help uh, debug any uh, concerns that that arise. The fifth one is around having a development and career path for each of your team, having that clear and revisiting that every once in a while. Six is around opening up lines of communication. Don't be that bottleneck and that that yeah. funnel that everything has to go through you. And then the last one, which I, I really like, is having a solution orientation in the mindset uh, for your team, so that you're always looking to find ways to do things better. Always find trying to find ways to solve problems. Is there anything else beyond this that you want to condense and add? The one thing I would add to is it's a regular cadence of
2: feedback conversations, right? So, like informal feedback. So, it's every one on one, there should be some sort of feedback component to them. But what I'm talking about is some companies do an annual feedback uh, process, some people do biannual. We actually do quarterly. So, every three months, we're looking at each quarter's performance because I think it's one, it's helpful as a manager. And I think the biggest thing for me is, with a feedback conversation is I want to know how they feel about their performance. How did they feel about the previous quarter? Where did they get stuck? Where did they feel they really shine? Where, what was the work they're really proud on, proud of? Because I think that helps you like that earlier in our conversation, we were talking about ascertaining or figuring out what those strengths are. That's a big part of it is like, where did you feel really proud this quarter? What was the work that you want to highlight? Because that'll help you figure out what they're passionate about, what they really enjoy doing and what they're proud of.
1: That's super cool. Thanks so much for sharing your insights, Seth. I feel like we could go on for quite a bit longer, but if people want to find you to ask a little bit more about what you've shared today, what's the best way for them to do?
2: I'm on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out to me. I love talking to people.
1: Thanks so much, Seth. And thanks for hanging with us today. For those of you who are listening, I hope you enjoyed the show and all the insights that uh, Seth has shared with us today. Uh, Make sure you drop us a review. Uh, Tell us if we're doing great. If we're not doing great, tell us as well. I'd love to hear how we can improve. Um, And tune in next time to the HR Impact Show. Um, I've been CT. Thanks so much for listening.